0: Good morning. Good morning. I had my oldest daughter over last night. I told her I have six pages of notes. That's a lot, in case you don't know. I normally have four. And all she kept saying was, Daddy, I'm in nursery. I'm in nursery. Because that means she's stuck in there while we go over. So I told her I was going to speak very fast, which requires you to listen very fast. Okay, you with me? Can you do that this morning? Oh boy, oh boy. Shake it off, folks, shake it off. You ready? This is going to be a lot of information in a 45-minute or so period of time. All right, so open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We're looking at verses 11 through 14. This is actually a part two. It's a part two, so if you weren't here last week, I'm not going to cover... Everything we spoke of last week, so you could go back hopefully and listen to that if you haven't already online titled this "Living in the Light of the Lord's Return." Just an upfront disclaimer too I don't yeah, I don't see any young ones in here, so I think we're okay. We'll have a little bit of adult content material today because it's in the text, so just wanted to give you that disclaimer in case there were some young folks in here that you were concerned about hearing any of those things. so let's read the text. we're going to dive right in and we'll do a little bit of review and then We'll jump in, pick up where we left off last week, okay? Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Apostle Paul writes, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's our text. Last week, we only really looked at verse 11 and the first part of verse 12. And in summary, what I would say about this section is I believe the general idea here is this, that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and our accompanying final redemption or glorification is imminent. It is imminent. Or you could say that the return of our Lord and the culmination of our wonderful salvation hovers over us, it hovers over us. And knowing as we do that that glorious day is at hand, or knowing the time or period of history in which we live, that is between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, or to say it another way, knowing that every day that now passes brings us closer. To that final day when all that we have anticipated in Christ will become a reality. We should, in light of that imminent day, be stimulated or motivated to pursue holy lives today. Today. To live wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ today. To separate ourselves unmistakably from all that belongs to the darkness or evil or sin. To, in a nutshell, beloved, get on with the business of living as Christians should. With me so far? One writer comments that faith is indeed nothing but living in light of what is to come. Faith is indeed nothing rather than, I messed that up, but living in light of what is to come. And it is that kind of living that Paul calls for in this text that we're looking at right now. Commenting on another passage uh, in Scripture that also refers to the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, one pastor says this. I found it to be helpful, so I wanted to share it with you. The doctrine, the teaching, the instruction of God's word of the eminent return of Christ should not turn the Christian into a zealous fanatic who does nothing but wait for it to occur. No. Instead, it should lead the believer into a watchful pursuit of holiness. He says later, And we talked about this last time last week. It should also remind him that he will face the record of his service to God and be rewarded for what stands the test at the judgment seat of Christ, which follows the return of Christ to rapture his church. But before we pick up where we left off last week, here's one more thing that I didn't say last week concerning verse 11 and the first part of verse 12. Reading one commentator, he pointed out that these assertions that Paul makes here in these verses, the first one being that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, okay, that's verse 11, and then also in verse 12, and the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Both those assertions share the metaphor of of night giving way to day, of night giving way to day. That's the metaphor. This was simply imagery that was drawn from ancient daily life. And then the commentator says this, Remember, ancient society. In a society governed by the sun, rather than by the convenience of artificial lighting like we have today, people rose at dawn. Only slackards would keep to their beds after the first glow of daylight. Early rising was especially necessary in the Near East, where the bulk of work needed to be done before the heat of midday. Paul wants no slackards among his readers. Christians are to be alert and eager to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Why, beloved? For the day is at hand, for the return of the Lord is imminent. Get up and get with it. Okay? That's Paul's exhortation to us. Now, look back at verse 12, which is, as I said, where we left off. Look back at it in the Word of God that you have before you. It says this, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. We covered that. This is where we left off. So then, based on that, therefore, let us cast off. Cast off. You see that in the ESV translation? The NIV says, put aside... Uh, The New American Standard Bible says, lay aside, let us cast off, put aside, lay aside, what? Huh? What's the word God say? The works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Okay? In light of the Lord's return, what are we to do? Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. All right. Concerning that phrase, works of darkness... And understanding what it means, I think it would be helpful to take just a quick look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, because Paul uses that very same phrase in that section, another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He uses it there, and I think just reading through the text, it'll be very clear to you what is meant by works of darkness. We're going to begin our reading in a verse 3 of Ephesians 5, okay? And I'll make some comments as we go. Paul says this, verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, he's speaking to Christians, he's writing to Christians, must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Another translation says this, as these are not fitting for the saints. These things are not fitting for the saints. Why? Before we read on, why? Aren't they fitting for the saints? Well, I don't know. Here's a couple of reasons. We're commanded by God to be holy. Holy. You shall be holy. Why, God? Because I am holy, and you're my people. 1 Peter 1.16. We are God's people, and we are to live accordingly. Okay? That, that's a reason. How about this? God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, from its power and authority, Colossians 1.13. God has freed us from our enslavement to sin, and he has made us slaves of righteousness. Romans chapter 6. By God's grace, beloved, we have become children of God, John 1, 12 and 13, and as his beloved children, we are told to be imitators of God, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and the apostle John tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. This is why it's not proper. It's not fitting for the saints to behave in such ways. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all commonplace in this world around the work cooler But Paul says, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Who says them, beloved? Sons of disobedience. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Oh, this is good. Stop right there before we read on. Before being saved, Christian, according to God's word, you were darkness. Hello? You were darkness. Some of you know it very well. You know, you know exactly. I don't have to explain that to you, right? But just in case you don't know what that means, I'm going to. You were morally and intellectually in darkness concerning the things of God. So was I before the Lord rescued me. You were lost. You were a son of disobedience. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a child of wrath, devoid of divine truth and morally corrupt through and through.
1: Enslaved
0: to sin and maybe not as bad as an unsaved sinner could be, but as bad off as
1: any human could be. Completely alienated from the life of God. That's darkness, beloved. But guess what?
0: Guess what, child of God, if that's you? That is not the case anymore. That is not the case anymore. Now you are light in the Lord. You have been rescued out of the darkness. Being in the Lord who is light, you too light. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world whoever follows me. Christian, is that who you follow, Jesus? Huh? Yeah? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is whoever follows him. I've said this before, there's a lot of people professing faith in Christ but they aren't followers of Jesus Christ. It's a false profession. It's a profession with not any reality behind it, no substance. It's phony. It's fake. They're make-believers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, Paul says this, For you, again speaking to Christians, are all children of what? Light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are, a, again, speaking to Christians, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation called out, called out by God, set apart by Him for His purposes, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of what? Darkness and into His marvelous what? Light. Now, let's pick back up and where we left off in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says, For at one time you wore darkness, but now, but now, you are light in the Lord. All right, based on that, based on that truth, what are we to do? Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern or learn what is pleasing to the Lord and here's the phrase finally here in verse 11 take no sum no part take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. Hmm? Hmm? Now notice that Paul adds the word unfruitful here, right? Unfruitful, barren. Barren is another uh, way to uh, define that Greek word. He adds it to the phrase works of darkness. Why? Why does he add that? Well, in contrast here in this context with the fruit of light, the fruit of light, the works of darkness, bear no fruit in a person's life. That is, they give no benefit to them or to others that are around them. Rather, the works of darkness, my friends, only bring loss, hurt, injury,
1: ruin, and destruction.
0: True? True. All too often we believe the lie of sin which says no it brings joy satisfaction happiness wholeness completeness Huh? Lie, lie, lie.
1: The works of darkness are barren. They're unfruitful. Back to Romans 13:12.
0: So then, Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness and, and, what? Put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? I mean, it sounds pretty cool, whatever it is, right? It's not like a lightsaber. It's not that or anything, but... I would explain the armor of light as being simply this, the equipment that is suitable for our lives as Christians. The equipment that is suitable for our lives as Christians. I would add to that, as children of light, it is the armor that we need to both defend and extend the light. To both defend and extend the light. A couple comments here. John Calvin, ancient reformer, um, wrote this when he was commenting on this text. He says that Paul switches from the term works, works of darkness, to armor, armor of light. Okay? Why? Because we are to carry on a warfare for the Lord. Huh? Paul loves to talk like this. He does it all the time. Whenever he speaks about the Christian life, quite frequently that is, he speaks in in this battle kind of language, this fighting kind of language because there's a war. There's a real war going on. Another writer says this, the Christian's life is not a sleep but a battle. But a battle. You guys aware of that? Because if you're not, you're in trouble. I think sadly many do kind of treat it like a sleep, like kind of a snooze. they kind of just cruising on into heaven. It doesn't work like that. Another writer says, Christians are soldiers in a conflict who need to be alert and equipped for battle. Finally, one adds this, to walk through this world as children of light involves a warfare with the powers of darkness. Huh? Yeah, beloved. And finally, one pastor says this, and he just identifies it this way. He says, the armor of light... That's the full armor of God. That's the full armor of God. Where have you heard that phrase before? Do you know? Where have you heard it? Ephesians, good. 6. Ephesians 6. He goes on to say, we cannot be spiritually and morally safe in anything unless... or in anything less than the full armor of God. Let me read that section to you, just to remind you of what it says. It's in Ephesians 6. Beginning in verse 11, I think he's right. I would agree with him that the armor of light, as I said, is the equipment that is suitable for our lives as Christians. Certainly, this is the equipment, the equipment that we use to defend and extend the light as children of light. Paul says this in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God. Why, Paul? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. of
1: God. Back to Romans. Chapter 13 again, verse 12.
0: So then, in light of the Lord's imminent return, and so then let us cast off, you see that phrase, cast off the works of darkness and Put on, put on the armor of light. Those verbs, those verbs that are there that are, as I just showed you, translated cast off and put on, were used of clothing. They were used of clothing. But here Paul uses these terms metaphorically to picture the actions that a Christian living in light of the Lord's imminent return is to decisively take. He is not to be clothed in the works of darkness, but rather he is to cast them off. He is to take off those filthy clothes, if you will, and lay them aside. For they are not at all fitting for a follower of Christ or for a child of light to wear. He must have nothing to do with them any longer. And as a child of light, he is to take up and put on the armor of light in order to defend and extend the light. For the night is far gone and the day is at hand. He is to put on equipment suitable for the soldiers of Christ. He is to get on with the business of living as Christians should. Now look back at verse 13. Or look at verse 13. Following that, Paul says this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. In light of the Lord's imminent return, let us walk properly. Properly, God's word says. Another translation says, let us behave decently. Decently. Another one says, let us live decently. Another translation says, let us walk with decency. And then Paul adds the phrase, as in the daytime. As in the daytime. Meaning, I think, that our conduct must be acceptable in the open light of day, one writer says this: "There are things that can be done only are done." I'm sorry, I messed it up. There are things that can be done under the shroud of darkness that people shrink from doing in broad daylight. Huh? Interesting enough, you know. I don't know if uh, anybody refers to them this way anymore, but prostitutes when I was growing up at least, were referred to as ladies of the night.
1: Ladies of the night.
0: In contrast to the decent conduct that Christians are to exhibit, walk properly as in the daytime, Paul lists three pairs of vices or immoral or wicked behaviors or habits that Christians are to completely avoid, run from, to in no way participate in. Now, this is obviously not an exhaustive list. In other words, Paul's not saying everything he could say here about the works of darkness, but certainly it is illustrative or sufficiently representative of works of darkness. By the way, you'll find all the vices here in Romans, you'll find them listed under the works of the flesh that fall in part of us. In Galatians chapter 5, 19-21, through 21, there Paul says this, Now, the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, yes. That's a work of darkness. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, yes. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then Paul says again, and he's always doing this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will, what? Maybe not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Why can Paul make a statement like that? Because these are the practices of the unregenerate the unredeemed, the children of darkness, those who have not been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. That's why. Concerning the vices Paul lists in Romans, I would also add, and and maybe just thinking through why did he choose these specifically, Martin Luther, great reformer, said that when he was commenting on this passage that all who study history, at least that of, he was looking at St. Jerome's history, and he was a historian and some other things, but he was looking at that. He says all who study history will find that the six vices that Paul lists there at that time, when Paul wrote Romans, gained, this is what he says, I'm quoting now, gained the ascendancy, that's controlling influence, in Rome. And exerted an almost tyrannical sway. That means total control over the population of Rome. So that's possibly why Paul draws these out, because he's writing a letter to the Romans. But these vices were not only a serious problem in ancient Rome, but they were also in Corinth. There are also a problem in Corinth, prolific in Corinth, and that happens to be from where Paul is writing the letter to the Romans. So uh, he's in the midst of it. He's seen it all around him. Sadly, beloved, these vices are not contained to some ancient time. They continue to be a serious problem in our world and age as well, don't they? The first pair of vices Paul lists is orgies and drunkenness. Orgies and drunkenness. Now, in our sex-crazed culture, when we hear the word orgy, we no doubt think of one thing. But the word is not limited to that idea. It's just taken on that meaning for us because we've applied it so many times to that particular situation. But if you look up the word, it can also refer to a drunken revelry or a wild party characterized by excessive drinking with or without unrestrained sexual activity, with or without. It may include that. It often does. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. More importantly, what the word is getting at is this drunken revelry or wild party characterized by excessive drinking. In fact, the Greek word translated orgies in the ESV Is translated, and I think this is a better translation, at least for us, carousing. Carousing in the New American Standard Bible and the NET. What is that, carousing? Well, carouse, okay, to carouse, if you look that up, it simply means this to drink liquor deeply or freely. To drink liquor deeply or freely. The idea is unrestrained, no moderation. No checks and balances. Self-indulgence. Or it could also mean to take part in a carouse. So carousing means you're taking part in a carouse. What's that? It's a drunken revel. It's a wild party or celebration. Now, interesting. I found this interesting. I hope you do too. The Greek word Paul used in Romans 13, that word there that's translated orgies, carousing, and other translations, Historically, in Paul's day, it had referred specifically in these ancient times to a, and now I'm quoting, listen, a nocturnal at night and righteous, or righteous, wow, riotous, big difference, (laughs) nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper Parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of, and I may not be saying this right, Bacchus, and sing and play before the houses of their male and female friends. Who's B-A-C-C-H-U-S? Who is that? Bacchus. Well, it was the Romans' name for the Greek god Dionysus. I think I'm messing that up too, but that's okay. Huh? Huh? Perfect, Dionysus, from the front row, thank you, Dionysus, so, do you know how to say Bacchus, am I saying that right? No, you're Greek, not Roman, okay, I got it, okay, so, <laughs> give it to me again, Dionysus, Dionysus, okay, whatever, all right, so, I know how to say Jesus Christ, that's the most important thing, but, um, you see how it flows smoothly from the lips of Christians, it just, it's a beautiful name, but anyway, this was the Roman name, that they were throwing a party for this God, okay, and uh, as you, and by the way, this god, Dionysus, Bacchus is the name, Romans name for them. Okay, you with me so far? Uh, that was the god of wine and intoxication. Hmm.
1: By the way, there's a, bar, a Bacchus Bar and
0: Bistro in Irvine. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people borrow or still borrow. You know, we wear Nike gear. You might want to look this up sometime. Nike is the name of a god. Ancient. It's a false god. It's an idol. But uh, anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. But yeah, Bacchus Bar and Bistro in Irvine. So uh, don't go there. But anyway, as you can imagine, these gatherings would get out of control, okay? They would get out of control and historically were notorious For their sexual and criminal character. You can only imagine, right? You can, you know, I mean, we can picture it. And of course, they're celebrating this God who who, who desires you to give yourself to alcohol and intoxication of every kind. Boy, not much has changed, huh? So, Paul uses the Greek word here not to refer specifically to this to these riotous processions in honor of Bacchus, but rather as the word had then come to be generally used to refer to drinking parties involving unrestrained indulgence in alcoholic beverages and accompanying immoral behavior.
1: I, I, it'd be the same as me just saying, hey, uh,
0: have no part of college frat parties. Because college frat parties now have been identified or associated with generally with drunkenness and intoxication and every kind of immoral, I'm not saying they're all that way, okay? Okay, obviously there's probably some wholesome frat parties, but often when you hear a frat party, what do you think? Fraternity, sure, what do you think? Oh boy, craziness, wildness, out of control, and of course, alcohol, unrestrained, drinking deep, freely, and often sexual immorality of every kind. Unfortunately, beloved, it's not just on college campuses that these kind of things take place, but sadly, Friday or Saturday nights for many Americans look just like that. One translation which tries to make things really simple kind of translates that that passage there, just saying this way where it says, uh, not in orgies and drunkenness, they simply say, have nothing to do with wild parties, don't get drunk. (laughs) It's certainly a simplistic way to try to translate that or interpret that. Beloved, let us walk properly. Huh? Not in carousing and drunkenness. And when does, and you know, it's interesting, he talks about as in the daytime, and then probably his mind is probably picturing what he's about to say. Typically, these kind of things go on when? These parties, these wild events. When do they go on? At night. I'm not saying people don't get drunk in the day and, and And get involved in all kinds of terrible things, but when are they normally associated with? right under the cover of night
1: The night is far gone; the day is
0: at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The second pair of vices refer to sexual sins sexual sins. Let us walk properly, you can see it there in your text, not in sexual immorality. What is that? Well, the word simply means unlawful sexual intercourse. You know what that is? That's
1: having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Have nothing to do with it.
0: And then sensuality. He uses that word sensuality. Do you see it there? Do you see it? Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Interesting. The Greek word translated sensuality is, according to one commentator, one of the ugliest words, one of the ugliest words in the Greek language. He says it describes not only immorality, not only immorality, but the man who is lost to shame or incapable of feeling it. It speaks of unrestrained lust and licentiousness, Pursuing desires aggressively and selfishly, unchecked by morality, especially in sexual matters. I read that word and I I think of easily an illustration of that and her name has left my mind. She's a singer, Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Hopefully you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's awesome. That would be great. But you probably do know what I'm talking about. Our concerts are even built around this. Just no shame. Sensuality. Beloved, let us behave decently, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Finally, we have the third pair of vices, quarreling, quarreling. Um, the New American Standard Bible translates it strife, strife. What is strife? Well, that's, that's bitter and sometimes violent conflict. That's what strife is. Another translation uh, says dissension instead of quarreling. Dissension, what's that? Disagreement leading to open conflict. Okay. Another translation says discord. Discord instead of quarreling. What is discord? It's disagreement or strife between people. Okay? That is what we are not to be involved in. Huh? That is what we are to be casting off, putting away, laying aside. And then, of course, jealousy. Uh, King James translates it, envy. Envy. Here's a note from one commentator. He says this, listen. Along with the more socially repugnant acts of drunkenness and debauchery, we find, rather unexpectedly, quarreling and jealousy. These, too, are acts of darkness. Unfortunately, the church is considerably more tolerant towards such sins. Right? Oh, you're a drunkard? Oh, you've... you've You've, you've got yourself involved in a sexual morality, Ooh. and it is, uh, and we shouldn't turn from that. It is, uh, it's disgusting, it's vile, it's wicked, it's works of darkness. But then, oh, a little quarreling, a little jealousy and envy. I mean, come on, I'm a human being, we all do that. No, it's works
1: of darkness, beloved, we're to put it off. We aren't to tolerate it. It's
0: damaging, not only to relationships, but to the body of Christ, and to the name of Christ, a bickering, arguing, quarreling, envious, jealous church. What does that say to the world?
1: Why would I want anything to do with that? I've got that already.
0: That's my life. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, Christian, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How, Paul, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to fight Huh? just want to make sure you're with me. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Beloved, as I said before, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans from the city of where? Corinth. Okay, all right, guys, you're listening. I'm going to turn to them for a second. Because from where? They got it too. They got it. They were listening. They just were messing with me. Um, And if you know anything about the church in Corinth, if you know anything, then you know this. There was a lot of quarreling and jealousy going on. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. Let me point it out to you. Just to give you context, he's writing from Corinth. He's writing to the Romans. He sees the damage that this does to the body of Christ. In verse 1, he says, but I, brothers, Christian brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people I couldn't, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? What is he saying, only in a human way? You're behaving like unregenerate people, like like. Fallen people without the Spirit's, Spirit's influence in your life, that's how you're behaving. And I know that because of all the quarreling and jealousy that's going on there in the church. One writer at commented on this, instead of mature behavior characterized by humility and concern for others, obedience to God, basic obedience to God, the Corinthians were infantile, self-centered, and therefore divisive. Beloved, let us... Walk with decency, not in quarreling, in jealousy. The night is far gone. The day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Commenting on these six vices, one person said, they all stem from self-will. They are all the outreach of a determined selfishness that only seek, seeks one's own pleasure. Another writer says this, all these practices that we just looked at, all those evil vices, they constitute a failure in love. A failure in love which does no wrong to a neighbor, verse 10 of Romans. Huh? All those things I just talked about, they'll wrong your neighbor, every single one of them. Because they, they don't flow from love, not biblical love. They flow from self-love, sinful self-love. Love, self-gratification, self-desire. Finally, look back one more time at Romans 13. We're doing good. Coming around the last stretch. Paul says this. We've already read it, but I want to read it for the context. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here are three ways, and they are all similar, Similar that the phrase, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, again, this metaphor, picture, this kind of to put him on, here are three ways that has been explained as far as what it means. One has said that we are to consciously embrace Christ in such a way That his character is manifested in all we do and all we say. That's good. That's good. Another one makes it a little more simple. We are to put on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved? Huh? Yeah, it's righteousness, it's holiness, it's love, it's purity. There's no darkness in it, it's all light. Another says this, I like this too, that to put on the Lord Jesus Christ means being clothed with all the graces which were in him, which were in him. Beloved, not only are we to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But Paul says we must make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What is the flesh? What is the flesh? He's not talking about the flesh. Just this physical, just the bones and and skin. But it, as one writer said it this way, I think this is a good definition. It It is the whole of our human nature in its fallenness, in its fallenness, organized as it is in rebellion against God. Our flesh. It's our lower nature. It's that part of us that we are longing and looking to rid ourselves of at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when we are glorified and received perfect bodies. Huh? It's the flesh. Right now, you and I retain still the flesh. But we must make no provision for the satisfaction of the urges of our sinful, fallen natures. No provision, beloved. One writer says this, listen. While the appetites of sin remain until the glorious day of our complete transformation into the likeness of Christ, we are to deny them any opportunity of expression. We are not even to consider the possibility of allowing them to fulfill their evil intentions through us. Huh? How about this, another writer puts it this way. I like this. Put into very simp- or put into very simple English, it should be. Paul is saying, Do not plan for sin. Give it no welcome. Offer it no opportunity. Kick the sin off your doorstep, and you won't have it in the house. Finally. Or Well, another one. Ryder says the Christian is to direct none of his attention to the craving of the corrupt nature, or to the methods by which he may provide for their gratification. Hmm. I don't think I have to like uh, break that down for you. I think it's clear. Now, you and in your individual lives in the areas of your lives where you know you struggle or your lower nature. Cries out to you for satisfaction, you know, you know how now to apply this. I would believe you can think that through, apply it in that situation. Make no provision for it, don't even allow it to sit at the doorstep.
1: Don't play with sin, beloved. Don't play
0: with it, don't even kind of ease up. See how close you can get to it, huh? Oh, I'm strong you're a fool.
1: And when I believed that lie, I was a fool too.
0: Paul doesn't say, hey, you're strong, you're good, right? He says, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, so now you can do anything and go anywhere, you'll be fine. No, he doesn't say that. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. He's watched one brother and sister after another
1: fall. So here's his warning. The day is at hand. Sin is looking to take you down.
0: One writer adds this. This is it. It's not up there. Listen. More often than not, more often than not, the sins we commit, and you think about this. Tell me if this is right or This is right. I already know it's right, but I want you to think about it. The sins we commit develop from wrong ideas and lustful desires that we have allowed to linger in our minds. The longer we permit them to stay, the more provision we make for the flesh to bring them to fruition. Hmm? The battle's right here, beloved. It's right here. That's why Romans 12, how to start. Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, which comes through the word of God, heard, listened to, read, meditated, studied, and then obeyed. My friends, we must repent of every sinful thought as quickly as it happens. We are children of light. We're children of light. Darkness should find no residence within us any longer, no place for it to set up shop. Let me close with this. Our lifestyle as Christians must be pure and holy. Huh? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the gospel. That is the gospel. It has a moral component to it. He has called us out of darkness into light that we might live holy lives. Especially in view of our Lord's approaching return, our lifestyles must be pure and holy. The Holy One is coming. It is critical for us as followers of Christ
0: to part ways, huh? to part ways with any and all activities that belong to the realm of darkness.
1: to not even allow sin to
0: set its foot on our doorstep. Beloved, may we live as children of light, casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light and all the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we live always in light of what is coming, the return of our holy and righteous Lord. Let's pray.
1: Father, I thank
0: you for your word. And now I just ask that it would do its work in us. I, I even give you thanks that I'm trusting that it already has begun to do a work in us, but Lord, it has so much work to do in our lives. and Father, I just pray all of us, would, we wouldn't just walk away from this or any Sunday, when we hear the word, that we don't just walk away and quickly forget, or put it aside. <sighs> We're certainly not to be casting off the word or laying it aside, but rather casting off and laying aside the works of darkness. Let us, let us take the word, Your word, Father, Your holy word, and and bring it close to us and meditate on it, and let it have its way with us, Father. I ask that through the work of your spirit, you would convict us, all of us, even now. Even in the days ahead ahead of areas that we have allowed to come into our lives that are not appropriate for us as children of light. That we would see
1: it, recognize it, and run from it, put it away. Father, help us to live in obedience to this.
0: That when our blessed Savior comes for us that we can look to him in confidence and know that we will hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to live. Help us to live lives like that. In Jesus' name.